Welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I'm a professor of Russian and East European studies at the University of Pennsylvania, and the author of several books, including Second World, Second Sex, and probably more well-known, Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism, and Other Arguments for Economic Independence, which I'm very happy to announce has just had its 14th foreign edition contracted for. This time it'll be coming out in Japanese. I'm really excited that in the next, uh, I think, six months or so, there will be a Portuguese as well as a Korean translation. And I imagine that this new Japanese translation will probably appear sometime in 2022. It's a very strange thing to write a book and suddenly have it find an audience out there in the world. Uh, You never really know who you're going to be talking to when you're sitting behind your computer and just typing words into a keyboard. Because writing can feel like such a solitary endeavor. You know, it's often just you and your thoughts and, and books and electronic documents, and you're sort of going back and forth. Maybe you talk to an editor, maybe you talk to an agent, maybe you talk to some friendly readers. But for the most part, writing can be a very lonely enterprise. And yet at the same time, it's this incredibly public thing in the sense that once the book is edited and finally published and distributed and out there in the real world, finding readers in different countries, of different ages, speaking different languages, you are sort of having a conversation with people, but you're not really, you know, you're not really in that conversation anymore. Your words sort of stand on their own. And I think it's been a really interesting experience for me as a writer, because most of my books prior to Why Women Had Better Sex Under Socialism were academic books. And in fact, I, you know, I'm still writing academic books. And when I write my academic books, I'm kind of in conversation with a kind of known group of scholars who are sort of sharing my interests and sharing the kinds of questions and queries that I have about life in Eastern Europe after 1989, for instance, or the role of of women in East European societies. You know, I, I have a pretty specific sort of subset of academic colleagues with whom I'm having conversations. But with a more popular book, it's a it's a very strange feeling to suddenly have that book be out there in the world being read by people who I will likely never see at an academic conference who I might not ever meet, uh, who might not ever reach out. And I've been thinking a lot about that because today I'm going to take a break from reading some of the primary sources, you know, Colin Ty's actual work. And I just want to do a, a brief review of a edited collection that I recently got. It's called Red Love, a reader on Alexandra Kolontai. And it also includes a play that was originally written in Swedish by the playwright um, Agneta Playel. I think that's how you say her last name. It was performed first in 1977, and then it was, I think, rewritten and re-performed in Stockholm in 1979. And this is an English translation of the 1979 play that was included in this volume, um, which just came out in 2020. It's published by Sternberg Press. 
And I think the origins of this volume were a curatorial project in in Stockholm uh, that was done around the life and work of Alexandra Kollontai in the 2017-2018 academic year. And it actually culminated in a exhibition in Stockholm, I believe, called Red Love. And this volume that um, I just uh, managed to get online is a collection of a variety of essays and articles and interviews that were done. There are also some photographs that were produced in association with this project that revolved around the life of Alexandra Kollontai. Um, As with many edited volumes, it is somewhat eclectic. Uh, Obviously, there are very polished essays as well as transcripts of interviews with some of the artists that were engaged in this project. It actually starts out with an interesting letter to Alexandra Kollontai from her admirers in Stockholm. Obviously, as you know from this podcast, Kollontai spent quite a lot of time as the Soviet ambassador in Sweden. And she had friends and colleagues in Sweden, particularly the feminist Ada Nilsson. And this collection sort of does, I think, kind of the analog of my podcast, except for that rather than reproducing Colin Tai's texts and analyzing them as primary sources, this um, collection of essays basically brings together some quite prominent academics and artists and theorists to kind of talk a little bit about the ways that Colin Tai's work still resonate in 2017-2018, which of course would have been the centennial of the Russian Revolution. I think it's really quite interesting. I was unaware of this project in Sweden while it was going on, but it looks as if there was a lot of really interesting material that was generated, a lot of interesting exhibits. You know, some of the essays are a little bit more directly related to Kollontai than others. But here today, I really kind of want to talk about the play. So it is a play that is completely dedicated to the life of Alexandra Kollontai. It's actually just called uh, Kollontai, which is its 1979 name. And it's a really kind of interesting sort of almost futuristic piece of drama where I guess the idea of the play is to try to make sense of Kolontai, to make sense of really in the end her capitulation to Stalin and how she managed to survive the purges and how she sort of managed to kind of accommodate herself to the very ugly turn that the Soviet Union took in the 1930s, in particular, when both uh, two very prominent um, men in Kolontai's life, uh, Shlapnikov and Dubenka, are, are murdered during the purges, uh, two of her former lovers. And so the play, it's an interesting play. I think it's always hard to read a play uh, rather than see it performed. There are quite a lot of stage directions in this play. I imagine it could have been, it would have been really amazing to actually see it staged. The The play itself is interesting in the sense that a lot of the reflection on 
Kolontai's character is done through her conversations with men, particularly with her son, as well as with Pavel Dubenka and with Stalin in particular. There's a very brief appearance of Lenin, but really there are some longer conversations with Stalin that are a little bit, little bit stilted and a little bit uncomfortable. I think it feels weird. Like this play doesn't really pass the the Bechtel test in the sense that Kolontai doesn't really get to have any long narrative discussions with women uh, that that are that aren't about men. And and mostly we get a sense of Kolontai as a person. I think refracted through her conversations with Stalin and her conversations with her son and her, you know, conversations with her, her lovers. So I take some issues. I mean, I guess it was written in the seventies and I take some issues with the way that the dialogue is set up, but I do think that the play is interesting in the sense that it really allows us to kind of think through the later Kolontai. Uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast really focusing on her earlier work and her more radical kind of sex positive revolutionary ideas about the family. And I haven't really paid as much attention to her later life, obviously, because, you know, she lived um, to be almost 80. She died in 1952 while Stalin was still alive. And she clearly had accommodated herself in many ways to Stalin's policies and the regime. She made probably a series of very difficult decisions in order to kind of give up her revolutionary principles. And it's very clear that she had them. You know, she stood up to Lenin during the period of the workers' opposition, and she she clearly had ideas about promoting uh, Soviet democracy and making sure that workers still had a say in the Soviets. But unlike all of the old Bolsheviks, most of the old Bolsheviks who were killed during the purges in the 30s, Kolontai survived. And, and she survived, that she survived is a kind of interesting mystery. You know, some people presume it's because Stalin was sort of sexist and didn't want to kill a woman. He was a bit chivalrous in this respect. Others believe that it's because he didn't really think of Kolontai as an actual threat because, you know, he also didn't go after uh, people like Krupskaya. But the other thing that I think is important is that, you know, at the end of the day, it has to be said that Kolontai really did believe that the Soviet Union was the only power capable of resisting the aggressive force of Nazi Germany in Europe, of, 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 of resisting fascism. And that's why I think the play is really interesting. So Agneta Playel, the Swedish playwright, really does sort of give the audience a window into how Kolontai could have accommodated herself to Stalin so easily. And in the first place, obviously, she was probably scared. She, While she was abroad in Sweden, she was recalled to Moscow, as were many Soviet diplomats, and many of them fell in, in the purges. You know, Stalin was, I, mean, I don't think I need to remind anybody, pretty ruthless. Her son was was still in the Soviet Union, and she probably feared for the life of, of her son, which also probably made her a bit more pliable. But I also think, and, and this is where the playwright here, 
you know, does an interesting kind of historical counterfactual and suggests that, look, Colin Tai was a great defender of socialism in the Soviet Union. She hated fascism and she hated Hitler. And this was a case of perhaps the lesser of two evils or the idea that the devil you know is, is better than the devil you don't. And if you don't want to see Europe overrun by fascism, you don't want to see the Nazis take over, then you have sort of no choice at this particular period of time to throw in your lot and support at least the foreign policy agenda of Stalin in the Soviet Union in the 1930s and and obviously in lead up to the Second World War and during the Second World War. So that's what this Swedish playwright really tries to do is tries tries to get us to understand Kolontai's perspective and how this really free-thinking, radical, independent woman could end up really kind of becoming the lackey of somebody like Stalin. Well, I'm not 100% convinced. I mean, obviously, I think there's there's a lot that we still don't know about Colin Tai. There's a lot that probably, you know, the playwright wants to read in. You know, there's a, there's a heavy emphasis in the play, quite understandably so, on the very repressive turn that the Soviets took in the 30s and 40s in the lead up to the Second World War. Um, Stalin comes off as a, a bit of a caricature, not surprisingly, again. And Kolontai comes off as a little bit helpless and a little bit sort of sad. And while I'm sure there were many moments in her life when she felt helpless and sad, I also kind of would like to believe that she understood she was a realist and she understood the political games that were going on. And and she actually just may have had very little choice. Maybe she knew what was going on. Maybe she thought it was wrong. Maybe she wanted to resist, but she just didn't have the energy or the inclination to do so. It's important to remember that she was, you know, quite old already by the time that the purges were happening. And she was far off away ensconced in Stockholm and trying to, you know, negotiate various trade deals and things for the Soviet Union abroad, she may have just tried to focus her efforts on the positive that she could do. And, and I feel like that's what the play misses in some way. The play really shows her kind of having a party or a series of parties in Stockholm while all these horrible things are going on back in Moscow. And it's it seems to me that it's you know it's it's kind of written for a western audience it's it's written for an audience that wants to like kolontai and understand kolontai while not having at the same time to accept all of the nasty things that they know about the soviet union and 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 for that reason i think it's a really interesting play and i really encourage people to to read it i'm not sure if it's available anywhere online uh, but this book, um, as I said, it's it's called Red Love, a reader on Alexandra Kollontai. There are some quite interesting crit critical essays included, um, essays that talk about, you know, love and talk about Kollontai's various ideas. And then I would say like the last fifth of the book is is this play, uh, the text, the full text of this play. And I'm, I'm always excited when I see new books that appear that are really sort of taking Colin Tai seriously. And I, I really encourage people to, to reach out and, and think about all of the ways in which 
Kolontai's work is still very relevant to this day, not only, you know, obviously in capitalist countries, but also in in countries where there is a robust uh, social democracy. I mean, I think it's really interesting that this was actually uh, a curatorial project put together in Stockholm. But anyway, I, I just wanted to to mention this new collection. I, I it, Like I said, it's been out since 2020, but it just only recently came to my attention. And I wanted to do just a, a quick review of it because I think it is, uh, again, a testament to the ongoing relevance and importance of Alexander Kollontai's work today. Anyway, that's it for me. I will get back to reading some actual works by Kollontai in the next couple of episodes. I will just say that as the summer begins to to heat up here in in Philadelphia I've got you know quite a lot on my plate so these episodes it always seems to happen in the summer they become a little bit more sporadic but as always I really want to thank everybody for listening and I really appreciate all of your encouragement and enthusiasm for the work of Alexandra Kollontai. 